0: Welcome to Allied, the podcast for everything you need to know about web and video accessibility. I'm your host, Elisa Lewis, and I sit down with an accessibility expert each month to learn about their work. Every episode has a transcript published with it, which can be viewed by accessing the episode on the 3Play Media website. If you like what you hear on Allied, please subscribe or leave a review. Allied is brought to you by 3Play Media, your video accessibility partner. Visit us at www.3playmedia.com to learn why thousands of customers trust us to make their video and media accessible. Today we're joined by Cheryl Rayburn, Donor Development and Community Relations Manager at AlphaPoint. Cheryl was 16 years old when she was diagnosed with retinus pigmentosa, a genetic disorder that involves the loss of cells in the retina, the light-sensitive tissue that lines the back of the eye. She finished high school, graduated from the Missouri State University, and began a career in the mortgage industry. After 10 years, she stopped working because of her vision loss. In 2015, Cheryl toured Alpha Point and enrolled in training studying braille, orientation and mobility, activities of daily living and adaptive technology. Eventually, she started working for AlphaPoint, an agency of the National Industries for the Blind so that she could help people with low vision. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for being here. We're excited to chat with you on Allied today. I like to start out kind of getting to know a little bit more about you um, before we dive into some of the amazing work that you've been doing. So can you share what's something important about who you are that's maybe not on your formal bio? Well, thank you for asking. There are
1: actually two things. One, uh, my family and um, our friends. These are people who have traveled this vision loss journey with me and lifted me up when I've been down and cheered me when I've had successes and um, been there for me and uh, encouraged me to keep moving forward. The second thing that's really important to me is to continue living my life the way I want to live it and not let my vision loss define that. Before I lost my vision, I was very active swimming and boating and water skiing and snow skiing and bowling and reading books. And as I lost my vision, I quit doing those things and I became very reclusive. And once I realized in 2014 that I needed help, uh, I knew I needed to take care of the basics. But as I began receiving training in the basics, I realized I could continue living my life the way I wanted to, doing all the activities I've always enjoyed. I just do them a little differently. And I find now that I'm able to help others who are have lost or are losing their vision to um, not only receive that rehabilitation training, but to continue living their life the way they want to, doing the things that they enjoy, um, in addition to the things that they need to do. So that's what's really important to me.
0: That's great, that's a, a really strong start. Um, it's always interesting when I ask that question, Um, some people, you know, share odd hobbies or things. And I, I love that you took a moment to kind of recognize the community. I think that's really important and, um, the people who we surround ourselves with and also, you know, not losing your identity in that. Um, so I love that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. So I do kind of want to, you know, start the conversation around your experience, um, losing your vision later in life. So it's my understanding that, you know, as you said, you kind of you know pulled back from some of the things that you were doing, including that you stopped working um, for ten years because of your vision loss. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about you know why you stopped working and and what the process was like to adapt to this new life with slow vision?
1: That's a really great question. When I graduated college,, um, a long time ago, I might add, uh, my husband, he imported me here to Kansas City. And, you know, we got married, we had two kids, and I had a successful career in the mortgage industry. And I absolutely loved my career. There was nothing more satisfying than helping someone purchase their first home or their home period. And I looked forward to going to work every day. You can imagine as I got toward the end of that time, I was losing what I call my little independences, the ability to read fine print, depth perception. I quit driving during this time, so I now had the added challenge of not having you know, good transportation. And the saddest day came when I walked into the president's office and handed in my resignation because it's not something I chose to do. But the silver lining in that is I went home and I opened the front door and I said, okay, what next? And I became a full-time mom, uh, very active in our community with PTA and scouts and church. And I was cheer mom and golf, I was all these mom things. And it was during those 10, 14 years that I began losing what I call my big independences. I lost the ability to prepare meals. So I felt like I couldn't take care of my family. I lost the ability to manage the family finances. So a real sense of loss of responsibility. I couldn't even walk to the mailbox, which was nine houses down on a sidewalk. Uh, I quit book club because I couldn't read the books anymore. So I that's when I went to that dark place in 2014 where I really realized I needed help. And I looked up. To heaven. And I said, God, I need some help here. And I remembered Alpha Point and I took a tour and that's where I, I knew I was going to get my life back. So it was during this time that, you know, I went from having a successful career to having to leave it when I didn't want to, because I didn't know about rehabilitation training to going home, having a wonderful opportunity to engage in our community and, um, help our children be good citizens, you know, within the community and to going to that dark place again and looking for help and then thus finding it.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's, it's actually, you know, an interesting thing that you mentioned is asking for help. And I think that we sometimes, you know, as a society, uh, kind of feel like that's a a really scary thing to do um Mm -hmm. but I think it's a really important thing to do um you know in in any sense um we're we're part of this bigger community and Mm -hmm. um and we're all people and we all need help from time to time but what was what was that like for you kind of realizing um that you were at a point that you needed to ask for help and, and what maybe advice would you share to someone who is kind of on the cusp and in a position where they're hesitant, but um, but asking for help could maybe be a turning point?
1: That So you stated that it's really hard to ask for help. And I think that's the key component right there is realizing that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of maturity and strength. When you actually look around and you say, I need help, there are people all around us who are wanting to help us. And that's what I did. I said, I need help. I took steps to get help and I didn't know where to go. My father uh, was blind, but he's a veteran. So he had the Hind Center. Right. And I said, dad, you have the the VA. What does someone in the public sector have? And I found Alpha Point. And I took a tour and Alpha Point has clinical services and rehabilitation services and employment opportunities. And I knew that's what I needed. So my advice to anyone is don't look at asking for help as a sign of weakness. Look at it as a um, as having strength and being strong. And it's a very mature uh, path to take. And if you don't know where to get help, call your local low vision center. And if there isn't one in your community, just go online and Google it. And there's national industry for the blind agencies all across the country. Um, There's low low vision centers all across the country that can help
0: you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I that's actually, you know, a a good transition. I I do want to talk a little bit more about, um, alpha point and national industries for the blind. It sounds like maybe you were familiar with alpha point, but I'm curious, um, sort of broadly, did you really know about accessibility and low vision or, or, blindness? It sounds like perhaps, you know, from your father. Um, but did you really know much about this before losing your vision? And, um, if, If not, um, what was the learning process like? So I really
1: didn't know about accessibility. Uh, At this point in my life, I was busy, you know, being a wife and a mother and having a career or being very engaged in our community. And my dad, you know, I had always known him to be um, uh, blind and, but I hadn't paid attention probably like I should have. So, When I found AlphaPoint, I went through their clinical services and I received the medical care that I needed. And then they directed me to our low vision rehabilitation services. So I learned, um, orientation of mobility, how to use my blind cane to take me anywhere I wanted to go and do anything I wanted to do. I learned how to read braille. I learned how to, um, uh, take care of my personal self in our homes or activities of daily living. And uh, the critical component for me was assistive technology. I knew that assistive technology was going to be the key to my returning to the workforce. And, um, and that was, you know, there was no question that uh, in my everyday career here at Alpha Point, I used technology to... Um, to uh, do everything that I need to do and uh, be equals for my sighted peers. You know, Alpha Point is one of 100 agencies that belong to the NIB family. So NIB, National Industries for the Blind, has over 100 associated agencies across the country who do two things. They provide employment opportunities and they provide rehabilitation services for people who are losing their vision. Their mission is to um, provide people who are blind or visually impaired the ability to live independent lives through rewarding careers. And I'm so thankful that um, NIB and Alpha Point and the other almost 100 agencies across the country provide this because the reality is people who are blind want everything everyone else wants. We just need the training and the services and that's what they provide for us.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And I, I, yeah, I think that's a great point. Not only, you know, do people who are blind or low vision want those things, but, you know, I, I've kind of heard, I I remember hearing this and it was just, it was like, yeah, of course Um, people who are blind or low vision, the only thing that they can't do is see or see as you know, much as somebody else, but it has right. no, you know, impact um on how intelligent someone is or how capable, you know, it's, right. it's all, we all have, have different things. Like I, you know, we talked about this as a, a really kind of thinking about accommodations Um yeah. and everybody has accommodations, you know, right. like I work remotely now, so I have mm-hmm. a screen at home Um and that, you know, is, is everyone has, whether we kind of put it in that bucket of accessibility mm-hmm. or not, um, you know, everybody does things differently and, and needs right. things differently, whether it's a different chair that someone sits in or whatever the case may be. So I think right. um, it sounds like, you know, the work that that NIB and Alpha Point are doing is is really amazing. On that note, can you share a little bit more about your specific work as donor development and community relations manager at Alpha Point, and what is what does your role entail? So here at
1: Alpha Point, uh, as the individual donor development and community relations manager, I have the privilege of working to secure the funds that are needed to ensure that we never turn anyone away. Uh, when you are providing clinical and rehabilitation services, whether it be youth, working age adults or seniors, uh, the, the fund that we take in through medical insurance and state funding only covers 50% of what it takes to um, provide those services. So it's my job to close the gap on that other 50%. I And I know the challenges that one goes through when they're losing their vision and the services that are needed. And I am committed to making sure that everyone who walks through the doors of this agency receives the services that they need. The other component to my job is to go out into the community and educate on the employment opportunities that are available, the benefits of employing people who are visually impaired and blind, And to also educate our um, medical professionals and retirement communities, um, schools, anyone who might come in contact with somebody who's visually impaired to educate them on the services that are available. Because what I hear over and over is, we had no idea those services were available. What I hear from employers, businesses and organizations is we had no idea that people who were blind could do any job within our organization. And so I have that privilege of being able to educate um, on those services and on those employment opportunities.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's really impactful the the work that you're doing. When When did you realize that you wanted to work for Alpha Point after enrolling in training? So I completed my training in
1: 2015, about three months worth of training. And I joined uh, Alpha Points board of directors. And during that time, I was looking for employment and nobody would hire me. I would get the interview. And the minute they realized I was blind, it was crickets, like the door closed. And it came out of them just not understanding that I could do the job that I was applying for, they just didn't give me the opportunity to communicate with them how. Because I can do any job that a sighted person can do, I just do it a little differently. And so one of my jobs here at Alpha Point is to educate employers on the minor accommodations that are needed to employ somebody with a disability, right? right? So it's it's just having that opportunity to educate uh, people on um, the
0: fact that we can do anything anyone else could do. We just do it a little differently. Absolutely. Um, I had read that um, about your participation in the Blind Leaders Development Program, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about the program um, and some of the training that you received um, during that program. Um, specifically, I, I read that the program pairs participants with a successful blind or low vision mentor. Um, how has mentorship impacted your career success? So thank you for asking that. I get
1: really excited when I talk about American Foundation for the Blind and their Blind Leaders Development Program. A of B has been around for 100 plus years and their mission is to to create a world with uh, no limits for people who are blind. And in two years ago, I applied uh, for this program and I was accepted as a follow. And in my leadership training, I received two things. One, um, extensive leadership training uh, called the Leadership Challenge. And the instructor was Lena Sehi from Vision Serve Alliance. She's the president over there. She's an excellent instructor, and we just walked through the different components of uh, leadership skills, you know, model away, and all of those. And you know, we did individual projects and group projects, and it was a hybrid of virtual and in person. And you know, you we received the academic training that comes along with the leadership challenge. But we also received something indirect, and that was the ability to travel to Washington, DC and Louisville, Kentucky, and be around, you know, well over a hundred other blind leaders from across the country to travel on our own, to navigate a world that we had not been in before, to talk with and communicate with other blind leaders and realize that we were not really that different we're all the same and we all have the same challenges and struggles and successes. So the direct and indirect training that we received was just amazing. Uh, The second component to that was being paired with a uh, blind leader, a mentor. And my mentor is Alice Eakes, and she's a professional author. And during our leadership challenge training she coached and guided me um, and just you know having conversations about what the different components meant and how they could impact my career. And in answer to your question, how has it impacted my career here? as you know I don't have direct employees. I don't, you know, approve anyone's time card. But the reality is, in my role, I work with our senior leadership team, our board members, our production teams, our clinical staff. And then I go out into the community and I talk with donors and medical professionals and corporate business leaders. And the leadership training that I received has helped me be more succinct and communicate relevant facts in a meaningful and impactful way. Um, It's just sharpened what I'm doing so that it's more clear and
0: concise. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like, you know, like you mentioned, you're, you're working with such a broad um, range of, of individuals and kind of different roles. So it's um, it sounds like the training was really helpful in, in learning how to communicate with different people and, um, and kind of meet, meet their needs where they're at. It's, it was really important because it can be intimidating talking to,
1: you know, say a medical professional. And I realized at the end of the day, everybody that I talk to uh, wants to help. They just simply need to know how. Right. And understanding how to, you know, do a direct ask. You know, this is what we need. This is how you can help. Um, and that's, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Just right. Being able to communicate effectively.
0: Yeah, yeah, take some of the um, you know, misconceptions and question out of things just to absolutely, really absolutely. Yeah. Um, well I I wanted to talk a little bit more about sort of misconceptions, particularly, you know, you, you touched on it briefly um in mentioning your experience kind of interviewing for jobs and then as as soon mm-hmm. as um, you know, they found out that you were low vision, um mm-hmm. It was crickets. So I want to talk about including people with disabilities within an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I I understand many people have kind of internalized misconceptions about what it means to include people who are blind um, or who have um, a disability of some sort in the workplace. Can you talk about some of the common misconceptions that you've um, come across, and then um, kind of the follow up to that? What can sighted people do um, to be better allies and to help um, you know, to to just kind of do the right thing and and to to learn? So I think the number one misconception
1: is just automatically coming to an immediate thought process of a blind person can't do that and change your thinking 180 degrees. Instead of saying a blind person can't do that job. Say, how can a blind person do that job? And the first step is to what accommodations can we provide? Did you know that um, most people who are blind or visually impaired need a minor accommodation? And in most cases, that accommodation costs less than $500. At the end of the day, people with a disability have a retention rate of over 70% in the workforce so if you take the fact that i have this person in front of me who is blind or visually impaired and what do they need just listen to what they have to say because in most cases they're going to tell you what they need and that accommodation is going to cost you less than 500 and the bigger picture is the retention rate is up north of 70 percent And the sad fact of that is the unemployment rate for people who are blind is north of 70%. So the unemployment rate for people who are blind is north of 70%. The retention rate for for a blind employee who's working for you is north of 70%. Because when we find a job, we tend to keep it. And we tend to do it really, really well. So I say that to say, employers can be better allies by taking it, you know, assess your hiring practices first. Are your online applications accessible? In most cases, Elisa, they're not, okay? There are organizations out here who will help you to make your online application process accessible. Until you get to that point, Um, Do you have a phone number that someone who's visually impaired or blind can call and, you know, do an over-the-phone application? Or can they get a paper application and submit it that way? Make sure you have opportunities for them to complete an application. The second thing you can do is to communicate, you know, what is it that you need? What accommodations do you need? It's okay to have a conversation, to initiate a conversation of what is it that you need to be a successful employee and work together as a team because when you do that, you're going to have an employee who comes to work, does their job, they're successful, thus the company's successful because people who are blind, we just want the ability to have a good job, to earn a paycheck, to put food on the table to make our mortgage payment. Like I said earlier in this conversation, we want everything you want. Okay? We just need an opportunity.
0: Um I I love what you mentioned about just the conversation and the question, what do you need to be successful as an employee? Um it seems, you know, so obvious and so um like a question that anyone should be, you know, we should be asking everyone. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but people just, um, you know, whether sighted or blind, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, people are different and have different styles of learning or, right. you know, working. Um, what a great question to just ask people um, to kind of bring it back to that sort of human to human nature and and uh-huh. kind of really understand, you know, what. How, how do you, you know, how do you, what can we do to support you and how, right. um, how are you successful? I think that that's such a great question.
1: Elisa, there's a real, there's a real uh, issue. Pe- employers, HR personnel feel like there's a fear. That's what it is. Alisa. there's a fear by interviewers that they can't ask those types of direct questions. Mm. But when it comes to the point of what do you need? How can I help you be successful? You can ask those questions and you need to, because if a blind person who can't drive, I might add, walks through the door of your office and sits down, they've already shown they're committed to doing the job.
0: Right.
1: Okay. They're already committed. At that point, have the conversation, you know, what is it that you need? Because if they walk through the door, 10 to one, they already know what they need. They just need to be able to share it with you.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point. Um, And I, I, it's an interesting thing that you pointed out too, about kind of being afraid to ask these questions. I I think it's perhaps twofold. I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, if you were referring more from like a legal perspective, certainly yes. asking someone to you know, disclose a disability um, is is not appropriate in an interview. Um, but again, asking what can, you know, what do you need to be successful? I, right. I think is, is really fine. But I think the other piece is as humans, we tend to have this like discomfort around things that we're not familiar with. Um, and we, you know, really in, in many regards need to just push through that. Um, the only way to get more familiar is to ask questions and have those experiences, um, and, and hear from the people who, who do have different experiences than us or have different needs than us.
1: Right. Um, I, I think the other thing is when you're talking about national industry for the blind and the 100 associated agencies across the country, if you're an employer who does not have people on your team who are blind or visually impaired, go take a tour. Yeah, because I can tell you here at Apple Point, we have over 400 employees. 230 of us are blind or visually impaired. We're based here in Kansas City. We have a, a, an agency in New York. And we run two military-based supply centers, one out of Fort Leonard one and one out of Fort Scott. We're so proud to be able to not only provide product for those military-based supply centers, but in provide, you know, have uh, employment opportunity for people who are blind or visually impaired. Thus, we're serving our military personnel. Here at Alpha Point, we have production. We produce over 150 million products each year, many of whom are for government agencies. We have contract management service. We have guarded exchange. We have a call center. We have people who are blind and our rehabilitation center, our clinic services on our foundation team, and we can do every single job that our sighted peers can do. We just do it a little differently. And the NIB agencies across the country are proving that every day. I like to yeah. say we were ADA before ADA was cool, <sighs> and um, it all. And if you aren't sure. Call one of these agencies and take a tour and we will show you how we can do everything that your company could do and how we, uh, the, the commendations are so minor,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great idea. Um, and just a great a point to share, um, I, you know, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit now. um, The fact that people who are blind have immense capabilities and strengths. Um, You talked about some of, some of the, you know, um, sort of statistics around retention, um, job retention. Can you speak to some of the, you know, other benefits of including people with disabilities within your team? Certainly. So some of the
1: other benefits of having people with disabilities on your team, I think the number one component is perspective. I've always said perspective to me is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. And when you bring a team together in a collaborative manner, and you have people of all different, what I like to call abilities, you get different perspectives, whether it's different races, religions, ethnic backgrounds, different disabilities, um, different walks of life. When you have those different perspectives sitting at the same table, you're going to have a much richer, much fuller conversation. Um, That to me is is the number one benefit. Um, I work with, on my team alone, there's about 12 of us. And there's a and empathy and there is a compassion and there is, we work together as a team. I may be blind, that's my disability, but one of my coworkers may say they have no self-confidence, I got it all. And so I may on the outside look like I have a disability, on the inside, some may have a disability Um, So it's just, to me, that's the number one benefit.
0: You know, I think many people may be overwhelmed um, at the prospect of incorporating accessibility into their team workflows and processes um, if they maybe have never had to or maybe never experienced that. Um, for example, perhaps they're not sure, um, if the technical platforms that they use are accessible to people who use assistive technology, Mm -hmm. um, how can teams start addressing these barriers to accessibility, um, that they may be never considered before? This is a great,
1: um, question and it's certainly, uh, there needs to be more conversation around that. Team can start addressing accessibility as it relates to their um, their processes and their platform by um, reaching out to an NIB associated agency uh, and other agencies like ourselves. For example, here at Alpha Point, we have our 508 compliance team, and what they do is they you know work through different um, uh, software platforms to see whether or not they're accessible. We just uh, went through a process of looking for employment recognition software here at AlphaPoint, and we, you know, did the demos. We engaged with the uh, companies, and then we sent their training videos, their training platforms over to our 508 team, and none of them were uh, accessible. Uh, we were looking right now. We're looking for payroll software and expense uh, reporting software. And we're having difficulty finding out that whether or not they're, well, they're not accessible once they go through our 508 compliance team. Senior leadership at any company needs to start having the conversation with their developers and their IT departments. Um, Are we accessible? How do we become accessible? And who do we need to contact? You start by having that conversation and you follow it up with, you reach out to agencies like AlphaPoint and hiring or, you know, talking to their 508 compliance team and um, other companies like ours and having them walk through their assessment, their uh, software platform to find out if they're accessible. From there, what do what steps do we need to take to become accessible? And there are people all across the country who can help them um, and guide them to um um, developing a product that
0: is accessible for people like myself. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's really interesting, you know, we at three play media have, um, experienced this ourselves when we've tried to, um, you know, or when we've evaluated third party platforms for our, in, you know, internal needs or external, um, you know, event hosting platforms and things like that. Um, and I think, I, um, if it's okay, would like to add that I think, you know, as companies that are evaluating these other platforms, that needs to be something that we push up front. Yes. Um, you, you know, we always start the conversation if if they're not fully accessible, the conversation just doesn't need to go on. Right. Um, and a lot of it is is education. You know, these a lot of platforms don't even know what it means to be accessible um, or to your you know earlier point they say yes we're accessible we're 100 percent accessible well it's very unlikely um that anything's ever hundred percent accessible um, right. i mean right. just given technology and how quickly it changes and and the diversity of needs um it, you are spot on with that we interviewed two
1: different employee recognition software platforms And then last year, I interviewed four different CRM platforms. None of them were accessible. And all of them, I came back to them and had a conversation. So you're not accessible. And how can we, um, what can we do to help you become accessible? And they said, every case, they came back to me with, well, it's on the list, but we're not going to get to it for at least another year. Yep. It's on the roadmap. (laughs) It's on the roadmap. Exactly. And I said, well, here's the deal. Do you realize if you were accessible, all the different organizations that would use your platform and I would rattle off, you know, many, many different organizations, primarily uh, organizations associated with NIB and AFB and uh, NFB, you know, all these, I call them the bees. And, um, they say, "Well, it's on the list."
0: Yeah, it's not important. Yeah, to them, and it needs to be. Yeah, um, yeah, we've experienced the same thing, and I, I think mm-hmm. you know, the more organizations, like I said, that that put that pressure on and and mm-hmm. make them realize what in what what a differentiator and what an asset it would be, um, you know, to their company as well. Um, hopefully, we can continue to move the needle.
1: I think that. Something that bothers me is in many cases, not in many cases. I think what bothers me is in some cases, they're worried that they're going to get sued or, you know, we're coming at them at, from an attack standpoint and we're not. I would much rather come at these organizations and businesses as a partner and work with them to show them how they can become accessible. And I think the key component there is going to be what the benefit is to them. Right. So it needs to be strategic. And I think we've started that process, but it's just going to take a little more time. Absolutely.
0: Um, As we begin to sort of wrap up our conversation today, I'd love to get your advice on, on sort of two different areas. Um, the first is what advice would you give to companies who are wanting to make their workforce more inclusive and accessible for employees, um, and job seekers who are blind or low vision? The first thing
1: that employers need to do is to assess their hiring practices. One is your online application process accessible. If not, what steps do they need to do to take to become accessible And in the meantime, um, do you have an alternative method for somebody who's blind or visually impaired or who has a disability to be able to complete that application? Second, when interviewing somebody who is blind, visually impaired, or has a disability, understand that the minute they walk through the door, they're committed and dedicated to, um, to that job. Third, have the conversation. What do you need to be successful? Don't be afraid to start that, initiate that a conversation. And what do they need to be successful? Make it a collaborative conversation because they want to be successful at their job and you want them to be because that's going to be successful for the company. Understand the benefits of hiring somebody. Um, the benefits far outweigh the negative. And that is the retention rate is north of 70%. The accommodations needed are typically less than $500 and you have a successful employee. And again, it's just in turn is success for the company.
0: That's great advice. Um, The other piece of advice I I would like to ask you for is um, what advice would you give to early career professionals who are blind or low vision as they navigate the workforce? My advice is this. One, don't
1: look at yourself as having a disability. Look at your abilities. What are you able to do? Okay, that's the first step. The second step is to secure the training that you need to be successful. Reach out to an NIB-associated agency. Find out if they have clinical and rehabilitation training. Understand and get the training you need in orientation and mobility so that you can go anywhere you want to go, do whatever it is you want to do, and do it the way you want to do it. Learn how to read Braille. And if Braille isn't for you, that's okay. It's okay to give yourself permission uh, to look for another avenue in that realm. Three, make sure you can take care of yourself and your family first, make sure you have the training needed in assistive or in activities of daily living that you can match your clothes and prepare your meals and clean your house and um, have a social life. Uh, and four, get the training you need and assistive technology. I believe firmly uh, that assistive technology in many cases is the key to success uh, in the employment uh, in the employment world. Many jobs today, there's some type of assistive technology that will help you. And if you reach out and receive the uh, rehabilitation training needed, agencies like Alpha Point and others across the country, they're here to provide the training, and provide the services, professional services needed for you to be successful. You know, at the end of the day, let's remember that NIB's mission is to empower people who are blind to live independent lives through rewarding careers, and that's what the 100 um, associated agencies across the country are uh, there there to do for you provide employment opportunities, and provide the training needed to
0: be successful. Thank you for sharing those pearls of wisdom. And thank you again for joining us on Allied today and sharing your personal experience. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Elisa. it's been a pleasure as well. Thank
1: you so much. And thank you for what you're doing, um, talking about assistive technology and getting the word out. It's critically important.
0: Thanks for listening to Allied. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest on accessibility, visit www.3playmedia.com backslash alliedpodcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.